This show may contain strong language and sexual content. If you're a minor looking for information or help without all the grown-up stuff, visit our website at mygayagendapodcast.com for resources. This episode contains discussion of the American military, the Nazi regime in World War II, and the Stonewall Riots. It also contains discussions about the LGBTQIA community, but you probably figured that out already. It's right in the title. Do we, do we want to count in? I think that might be nice. <laughs> One, a two, a skittly do. We're super gay. Tuesday is also gay. Wednesday is still pretty gay. And Thursday I have a night class. Friday we continue to be gay. Saturday is the gayest day. Sunday, yeah, it's still gay, but we also record a podcast. It's always nice when we actually record on a Sunday. Oh, yeah. It's very rarely, actually. Uh, (laughs) There's a one in seven chance. Yeah. Fair. That's how weeks work. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to My Gay Agenda, an investigative podcast where we interview the queer community and plan our world domination. My name is Jen. My name is CJ, and we are your co-conspirators in plotting whatever it is cisgender heterosexual people think it is we're doing. But CJ, I know today is a little different, so could you tell us what's on the bi schedule? We are here at the Philadelphia Podcast Festival, the seventh annual, in fact. Woo! Yeah, woo indeed. (laughs) And we're joined by two of our wonderful storytelling friends. Would you all mind introducing yourselves? Sure. Uh, I'm Jadzia Axelrod. I also do a podcast, though it's on hiatus right now, called The Voice Free Planet X. Um, And I've been on the show before. Yeah. At least once. Just once. Why just once? I don't know. We're about Great to question. It. Yeah. This is number two. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> and? And I am Josh Hitchens. I am a cisgender gay man, and I am a theater artist in Philadelphia. And I have also been on the podcast once before, and I am thrilled to be back again. Great. We're so glad to have you for what is going to be an in-depth analysis of the Cats trailer. Okay, you joke, but I'm ready for that discussion. <laughs> I've been, just follow my Twitter if you want that, because honestly, that's all it's been. It's but, upsetting. Yeah. It's upsetting. It's, it's perfect. Uh, it's immaculate, and it's completely <laughs> earnest batshitness. I know. That's the best description of it I've heard yet. All right. That was yeah. <laughs> but right. kidding aside, we are here to talk about queer moments in history because we're here at the National Liberty Museum. And what better location to talk about history stuff? It's a very beautiful museum. And right behind us is a, a gorgeous room with this amazing glass sculpture. And if you touch uh, a ring around it, it starts a very loud, very loud, very inspirational, very loud show. Uh, and guess how we found that out? <laughs> because there was a podcast before us, and we, I, I personally spent like the, the show's duration in an anxiety-driven hell as the very loud thing was like, liberty is amazing and so good, right down the hall from another podcast recording. So if you hear this, uh, both our audience and the listeners at home, during our show, that's karma. It's just karma, and we deserved it, however many times it's played. 
Yeah, so let's get to what we're really here for, which is to hear about some queer moments in history. I believe you wanted to go first. I do want to go first. I'm so Hit excited it. about this. Because this is one of my favorite characters in history in general, but uh, American history in particular, and queer history especially, hits all the buttons. So <clears throat> I'd like to take you back, transport you back to Valley Forge, 1778. I'm there. Yeah. Your soldiers in the Continental Army, you have just survived the worst winter of your life. You are starving. You are tired. You are losing the Revolutionary War. Ah, shit. Dang. You are surrounded by filth, your own, your fellow soldiers, the filth of rotting animals who have died in the middle of camp. It's, it's hell on earth. It's disgusting, and it's still goddamn cold. Even on this incredibly hot day, winter is horrible, too. Just keep that in mind. Yeah, we forget. <laughs> we forget. <laughs> Don't forget, there's no winning. And then, <laughs> in the middle of this hellscape, this moment of damnation and torment, rising like an archangel, comes this sleigh decked out with jingle bells and fur and striding from the sleigh is a man resplendent in a silk-lined fur robe covered with metals, carrying a small dog under his arm, a miniature greyhound. And this is Baron von Steuben, and he is about to queer-eye the entire Continental Ooh. Army. Hell yes. Though I was ready for war hero Santa Claus. He's essentially war hero Santa Claus. <laughs> but very gay. I just got so hyped so fast that I almost passed out. <laughs> Hell yeah, here we go. Here we go. So let's back up. We've got to back up a little bit. Uh, Frederick Wilhelm von Steuben came from Prussia. He came from the part of Prussia that is now Germany. So we're going to call it Germany from now on to keep it from being confused. Got it because we're not going to be there long, because he was kicked out of Germany. Why was he kicked out of Germany? Well, as I'm sure the panelists up here know, and you amateur historians might know, and certainly <laughs> if there are any professional historians in the audience, you might know, that it's really hard to find queer people in history because so much of history is straightwashed. This is a problem, and a lot of people's queerness and their queer identities are kind of shoved underneath the rug or between the pages, and you really have to dig to find them. However, we are confident that von Steuben was gay because he got kicked out of not one, but two countries for it. <laughs> what an icon. Well done. <laughs> he is such an unrepentant, flamboyant gay man that they kicked him out of Germany um, for being gay, uh, which is too bad because he had a pretty good life in Germany. He was serving under Frederick the Great, the king of Prussia at the time, and was an amazing military mastermind zone, right? So he learned from the Great the greatest, because at that time, there was no greater army than the army of Prussia. It was very modern, it was very efficient, moved like a machine, and he was there learning all there was to know about that. And then, when the war was over, they kicked him out for being gay. Typical. I uh, right? And the reason they kicked him out is because he refused to be quiet about it. No closet could contain this man. He was <laughs> flamboyant, he was delightful, he threw parties, and didn't care if you knew he was gay, he never denied it. 
and certainly never looked for any sort of wife at any point during his life, but especially not then when he was young and on the prowl. <laughs> so, nice. What do you do when you're kicked out of Germany for being gay? You go A to question Paris. I ask myself every day. <laughs> you go to Paris. We of all course. Go to Paris, right? Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yes. It seems reasonable. That makes sense. <laughs> um, Please tell me problem. he was too gay for Paris. He was too gay for Paris. Oh, my yes. God. How do you accomplish that? He did it. Too gay for gay Paris? Yes, he did. <laughs> That's really gay. He's so gay. Uh, he got on the wrong side of the French clergy who felt that... Because here's the thing about Steuben. In addition to being gay, he was also unignorable. He would come in. He would mm. tell stories of his grand um, military victories, half of which were true. He would parade around. <laughs> he had many boyfriends. Like He never stopped being who he was. And this meant that the French clergy at the time were like, we need a crackdown on homosexuality in France. And we're gonna start with that von Steuben character because everybody knows him and if we make a point of arresting him, everyone else is gonna fall in line. Mm, like making an example of him. Exactly. Mm. Rude. I know. So where I'm telling a story about American history, and we are in Philadelphia, so I'm required by law at this point to mention that Benjamin Franklin is involved in this story. <laughs> of course he is. And that it would not have happened without him. So in this part is where Benjamin Franklin enters, and yes, the story would not happen without him. Because he comes across von Steuben, and he knows that we're losing the war in, back in America, and he's like, this is the guy we need. He has got the military experience, to whip our army into shape. This dude is perfect. Well, not really perfect because he is a flaming queen. No. I mean, perfect to me then. <laughs> perfect to you, not to Ben. Uh, Here's Because we know he's not perfect. I mean, he may have been perfect to Ben, maybe not to Washington, because he wrote a letter to George Washington saying, I'm sending Baron von Steuben back to you. Don't worry about the gay stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it said. <laughs> <laughs> Me filling out any job application. Right, right. <laughs> Even though he's gay, it's fine. It's fine. Do we know where Ben Franklin met Von Steuben? Because from what I know about both of them, which isn't much, it was definitely an orgy, right? I, I think we can assume. Like, definitely? I think we can right. assume either an orgy or some sort of riotous party in a bar somewhere. Like, pre-orgy. Pre-orgy, right. <laughs> I, I like to believe that they met naked. <laughs> like, not necessarily having intercourse with each other, but, like, they were both naked when they first met. This also really summarizes any, like, networking, like, party event that I go to with gay people. It's just, like, imagine them in the same room being drunk and being like, you got to work on this project with me. Like, how have we not worked together? That's it. Exactly. Right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. I don't see why it couldn't be. I don't see why it couldn't That's be. That's how I'm picturing it now. Yeah, except with, you know... Uh, to um, middle-aged men naked. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah. So that brings us to where I opened, which is Von Steuben arriving in Valley Forge. First impression. I First love it. Impression. Yeah. It comes in immaculate, amazing, co chest covered in medals, half of which he made up and had artists make for him. <laughs> oh, half no. of which were real. <laughs> I mean, he... Perhaps before it was popular, defined military drag in a way that no one else had. Um, so he shows up at Valley Forge, and remember at this point, 
He is a man of the world, certainly of Europe. Does not speak English. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> so he cool. shows up. Luckily, uh, he shows up to George Washington's um, camp. And luckily, who's there? But none other than Broadway's Alexander Hamilton. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the part in the musical where Alexander Hamilton is Washington's right-hand man. Near confirmed bisexual Alexander Hamilton. Right? Okay. Yes. I want to Wait. talk about that for a moment. Because I found this footnote in researching, and I was very upset. Because, yes, Hamilton was totally into his best pal, best friend. This is what the straight washing that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. His best friend... John Lawrence, and they had an amazingly steamy correspondence, Mm. um, even at one point, talking about when they were separated, Alexander Hamilton wrote, and I had to write this down because it's too good, (laughs) he he was complaining that the distance means that this writing is the only kind of intercourse in my power. I love history. Alexander. Where I'm was blushing. that song, Lin Manuel Miranda? Also, where was the gay Santa? Where's <laughs> so much gets left on the cutting board. I know. Needless to say, Alexander Hamilton, huge fan of von Steuben. John Lawrence. You're joking. Yeah, huge fond of van, fan of von Steuben, and they set. They helped him set to work immediately, queer eyeing the army. Yes. Where did they start? Obviously, where does anyone start? With Jonathan Van Ness. Hygiene. (laughs) So important. So important. So, got rid of the rotting animals in camp, number one. (laughs) I love this episode of Queer Eye. Right? He's like, the the kitchen and the latrine (laughs) needs to be on the other side of the camp. This seems a no-brainer, right? No, they didn't have a latrine. They were just shitting wherever. So cool. Von Steuben had to tell them where to shit. Uh, straight um, people. <laughs> he had tried to tell them how to keep proper care of their bedding, how to brush their teeth, all of this stuff. Because I think it's important to remember that these were not soldiers. These were volunteers. These were farmers who knew how to shoot. Mm. Uh, and they were just left to, not necessarily to their own devices, but there was a lot of um, disparate philosophies let's say that, when it came to commanding the American army. And von Steuben was like, no, one way. But he said that in Prussian because no one understood him. Right. He had one English word, and that was goddamn, which he used a lot. Yes, perfect. If you uh, have to he, pick one. <laughs> he also made sure every, all the tents were orderly because it was a mess. He was like, no, orderly. This is his Bobby Burke coming out. All the tents must be in a row. <laughs> the captains must be up there. Enlisted men down here. Mm. Everybody gets together in their own ways. And then he taught them how to fight because they didn't really know. Um, Back in the day, remember, it was flintlock rifles was the highest military technology of the time. And you had one shot and then good luck. Um, So von Steuben's idea was to increase that luck, was to drill them on reloading as fast as humanly possible. This is important because they were against the British army who solved the problem of having one shot by having one person kneel in front of another in a line. And so the people on top fired, and then while they were in the reloading, the people on the bottom fired. But if you reload fast enough, uh, that doesn't matter because you can keep hitting him. He also taught them how to march in formation. 
This seems like a very basic military thing, but it wasn't in the 1700s. He okay, so, like, what the fuck were they doing in general? Like, this they is... didn't know how to shoot. They didn't know how to march. I had to have a very basic knowledge of the military. I kind of thought that was it. They were losing the war. All right, there it is. Fair enough. <laughs> That's what they were doing. Um, for the most part. But yeah, like a lot of what we think of as the modern military all started with von Steuben. Like he wrote that pamphlet without Alexander Hamilton and John Lawrence translating. That thing was used for decades after it, and basically it's still used today uh, with various modern additions added to it. But like he created the um, modern military. Uh, but yeah, they also didn't know how to use bayonets. Bayonets, who knows what a bayonet is? Most a people. few people raised their hands. Great. Well, then I'll, I'll go into it for the listeners, which is just, it's a knife at the end of your rifle. This is handy. A knifle. A knifle. Exactly. <laughs> this is handy when you are done, when you have shot and someone is charging at you, and you can then stab them with the knife. It makes sense. Except it's not an easy thing to use, so that no one used them, because they didn't know how. They were afraid of them. So von Steuben taught them how to use bayonets and fight. They were afraid of the knife gun? What? They were afraid <laughs> to use the knife gun. This does seem like um, an elegant solution to the concept of not bringing a knife to a gunfight, though. Right? Bring both. Porque no los dos. <laughs> Duct tape them together. <laughs> Binaries are, are for cis people. <laughs> True. <laughs> anyway. My new gender is knife gun. Continue. <laughs> right. Knife gun. <laughs> knife gun forever. Yes. <laughs> so, how did he get this information across to these men? Well, he had to invent the drill sergeant, because there was no drill sergeant for The classic drill sergeant, we all know this person. It's like, come on, maggots, get down and give me 20. Yeah. That guy? The, yeah. the yell boy. The yell boy. <laughs> the yell boy did not exist before this man. You're joking. No, he came, he was there in his covered in metals, silk lined robe, would strut back and forth in front of these men drilling and yell at them in Prussian <laughs> for them to do things faster and better. Um, now this obviously seems like a difficult thing because how did people understand what he was saying? Well, he had some help translating, not just Alexander Hamilton, John Lawrence, but also two soldiers named Benjamin Walker and William North. They also thought von Steuben was the coolest and the coolest. I wonder why that was. Any guesses? <laughs> Any guesses at all why these two men may have thought this flamboyantly gay man was someone they wanted to hang around? They're, they're, they're not gay. They're just really passionate allies. <laughs> they were so gay. <laughs> so what they would do is um, von Steuben would tell them what to say. He would shout it and then they would shout it again at the men. And sometimes von Steuben would just say, and now curse at them. And then it was up to uh, Walker and North to curse however they liked. He gave them creative freedom in that way. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's the sign cool. of a good manager. Yeah. Not, not only did he do that, but he also threw what is certainly on record as America's first underwear party. He threw a huge party at the barracks saying that anyone could come. Um, enlisted men could come, command could come, didn't matter. And they could show up to the party. They could show up to the party, but they had to only be wearing breeches. But how did Benjamin Franklin not already do that? Not as creative, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. We all have our strengths. 
he intended a lot of things, but that was the moment where he's like, ah. <laughs> he threw away his sketch pad that said underwear party. <laughs> so we move from the hellish winter of 1778 to the hellish summer of 1778. This is June, 100 degree heat, so kind of like what it is out now, you can imagine. Mm. But just you're uh, dressed kind of like this, only with also a coat and uh, a pack on your back. And they're testing out von Schubert's methods at the Battle of Monmouth. Battle of Monmouth was a horrible battle. It was brutal, it was violent, it was, had immense casualties. And we won! Well, Yay. kind of. It was a stalemate. <laughs> but the British decide we're not going to do this anymore. They left. So that's a win for us. Heck yeah. And Amazing. it was especially a win for the von Steuben method. And this was like, because this was not a battle that we were supposed to win. This was not a battle that anyone thought we could win. This is, in fact, the battle that Washington's second in command retreated from in fear because he did not think they were going to win. Um, General Lee, General Lee. And so, but it, they did. And, spoiler alert, we did eventually win the Revolutionary War. <laughs> oh, I was so nervous this whole time. <laughs> and we did it because of the von Steuben method. After the Battle of Monmouth, the drill book was sent to all of the fighting forces. Um, von Steuben was made Inspector General of the Continental Army. Um, and everybody was doing it the von Steuben way, without the Prussian curses, obviously, with uh, English curses, but in general. Right. That whole business. And again, it's what we still do today. Uh, he came in, he queer-eyed the military, and it's stuck. Which is more than you can say for some people who are on that show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's true. Also, this is worth pointing out, if you were wondering, watching Queer Eye, was, was there ever a time in American history where sh- straight men had it together? The answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> never have. Never have. It mm. took a gay man from Germany to uh, whip him into shape. Mm. Hell yeah. So after the war, von Steuben gets a big house uh, in Mount Vernon, and he adopts um, North and Walker. Now, this seems a little odd to us at the time, but remember, like, there's no gay marriage at this time. This was the only way they could legally be family and not only have the inheritance pass on, but also that could not be separated. I stand this polyamorous family in Mount Vernon. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. Uh, Because von Steuben, even after the war, kind of was this great flamboyant role model for kids, for gay kids. Mm-hmm. Um, case in point, Charles Adams, not the guy who created the Adams family, but the son of President John Adams and the brother of John Quincy Adams. Now, he, Charles Adams was not presidential material. He was, according to letters and diaries, depressed and an alcoholic and loved hanging around Von Steuben and North and Walker. I wonder why that is, why someone in the late 18th century would be an alcoholic and depressed but love going to parties with a bunch of gay men. Hmm. History doesn't say for some reason. Yeah. It's never written down. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Hmm. Uh, but he, John Adams never liked that his son hung around von Steuben. 
And as a consequence, whenever um, Charles and his father would butt heads, uh, Charles would go hang out at uh, Von Steuben's place for a couple of weeks, maybe months, and just chill it. That's so... I know a lot, there's a lot of queer people in the audience. I know there's nothing but queer people on stage here. We've all talked about, like, one day, we're going to get that big house. We're going to have that big queer commune where everyone can come by and mm-hmm. stay if they have a problem or anything. No big deal. And I just want you to know that John Von Steuben did it before it was cool. Like, so Hell many yeah. things. <laughs> like, so many things. Um, and, it, and he was just a, a beacon and a role model to what little queer community there was at the time. Because remember, um, homosexuality was still persecuted. The very day that von Steuben arrived at Valley Forge in another regiment, the very first American soldier was kicked out of the army for being gay. The very same day this happened. So it was not good. And to have someone that bright and flamboyant and such a, qu- a queen in every sense of the word. Uh, I, we don't know if von Steuben would describe himself as a queen, but I have a pretty good idea that he would like that I described him as a queen. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, and so I think it just shows to go that to live a beautiful, open life, all you have to do is single-handedly um, turn the tide of a national war. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Just live bravely, be beautiful and loving, and uh, change history. That's it. Oof. And buy a sled. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. the sled was borrowed. Well, borrow a sled. <laughs> borrow a sled. <laughs> Go borrow a sled. Jingle bells. I know the jingle bells were his idea. Of course they were. He yes. always knew how to make an entrance. I think we should all endeavor to live more like von Steuben. I think so. Agreed. <laughs> Amazing. Get I love that. Get kicked out of a country or two. Um, revamp a military. Yeah. Get a couple uh, boyfriends. And uh, adopt them. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. I love those additions to the gay agenda. Yeah. That's what we're doing now. Hope you all took notes. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That was delightful. Yes. And now we're on to Josh's story. All right. Uh, I'm going to continue the theme of German queer heroes of history. Um... But before I get into the story of my hero, I want to preface it by saying that I actually used to work here at this museum uh, as an educator. And it was my job to give tours of this museum to students of all ages from all over the place about what it means to be a hero and what liberty means, um, which is what this museum is all about. And I remember one all-staff meeting we had very vividly where we were talking about how we wanted to change the museum or things that were missing. And I kind of lost my shit a little bit. And I said, I said, like, my story and the story of people like me is nowhere to be found in this museum. There were no, no queer heroes in this museum. If there are, there were some queer folks who were displayed here, but they, it was not clear that they, their sexuality was not mentioned as part of their story. And I said to everyone, like, if I was a child and had gone on a field trip to this museum and seen an exhibit where queer people were celebrated for making a difference and not just living in the shadows, but really living full, meaningful lives, my life might have been very different. It might have been a lot easier for me. 
And the folks at the National Liberty Museum said, yes, you're right, make that exhibit. <laughs> um, that exhibit. Just go for it. Yeah. Um, so that was actually the last project I completed uh, before I left my employment here. Uh, it's an exhibit called Pride at Work. It is still here. Uh, it is up in the fourth floor in the Voyage to Liberty Gallery. Um, and I did lots of research for it and found lots of queer heroes that I had never heard of and didn't know existed, like Baron von Steuben. I, I didn't know who that was until you mentioned that that's the person you were doing. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So my person that I want to lift up today is Hans Scholl. Hans Scholl was born in Germany on September 22nd, 1918. He was the second of six children in the Scholl family. And Hans and his sister Sophie co-founded an anti-Nazi resistance movement called the White Rose. And both Hans and Sophie Scholl were executed by the Nazi regime for treason on February 22nd, 1943. Hans was 24, Sophie was 21. Moving back in time a little bit. Hans and Sophie's father, Robert Scholl, was a strong opponent of Adolf Hitler and was very upset when Hans, as a young man, joined the Hitler Youth and his sister Sophie became a member of the equally Nazi-influenced German League of Girls, both in 1933. To give some context of what their world was like at the time, a survivor of the White Rose man named Jürgen Wittenstein described it this way. The government, or rather the party, controlled everything. The news media, the police, the armed forces, the, judi the judiciary system, communications travel, all levels of education from kindergarten to universities, all cultural and religious institutions. Political indoctrination started at an early age and continued by means of the Hitler Youth with the ultimate goal of complete mind control. Children were exhorted in school to denounce even their own parents for derogatory remarks about Hitler or Nazi ideology. Hans Scholl disavowed the Hitler youth and Nazism after he was brought to trial for what was considered then unlawful homosexuality in 1937 when he had turned 19 years old. Because while in the Hitler youth, Hans Scholl had fallen in love with another member, Rolf Futternet. Hans and Rolf met in 1934, and they quickly became close friends. Although Rolf was a year younger than Hans, Rolf was in a different squad of the Hitler Youth, but he asked to be transferred so that he and Hans could be in the same squad together. And this is all testimony from the trial that Hans talked about openly. He said on camping trips, Hans, the, Hans said that he and Rolf slept with our arms around each other, and that I loved Rolf. On multiple occasions during such excursions, as well as during the day and in public, the two men's relationship became romantic and sexual. Hans disclosed that on one Hitler youth trip, he and Rolf had sex three times in one night. On a porch in the Scholl family apartment, on one occasion, Hans and Rolf were making out and touching one another intimately when they had to stop because Hans' mother came out onto the porch. On another occasion, Hans and Rolf had sex in the dark outside Rolf's home after Hans had walked home one evening. Again, all testimony at the trial that Hans said. Now, as an Aryan Christian, Hans easily could have lied to the Nazi court and blamed Rolf for their supposed unlawful crimes, but he didn't do that. Hans told the Nazi authorities that the only way he could explain his actions was that they were committed on the basis of the great love that I have for Rolf. Hans said that their relationship was extremely passionate and, in his defense, argued that leaders of the Hitler Youth were encouraged not to date girls. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, you're just setting yourself up for something like uh-huh. that. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and Hans also said he was unaware that it was illegal to have sex with someone of the same gender. In a letter to his parents on April 25th, 1938, Hans Scholl wrote, I received the indictment today. I'm not afraid of going to trial. Even if I can't justify myself in open court, I can justify myself to myself. The judge in this case defined this as a youthful indiscretion, and Hans and Rolf were both released, but for Hans Scholl, this was his awakening to what the Nazi regime really was. These events, along with many other persecutions that Hans and his sister Sophie witnessed at the hands of Hitler's Nazism, led them to found the White Rose. The White Rose was a nonviolent political resistance group, and students from the University of Munich comprised the core of the White Rose. Hans and Sophie Scholl, Alexander Schmorel, Willy Graf, Christoph Probst, and Kurt Huber, who was a professor of philosophy at the University of Munich. Now, they, the White Rose, conducted an anonymous leaflet and graffiti campaign that called for active opposition to the Nazi regime. They started these activities in Munich in 1942, and they ended with the arrest of the core group by the Gestapo on February 18, 1943. Hans and Sophie Scholl, as well as other members and supporters of the uh, White Rose, were executed by the show trials in Nazi Germany. Because these courts were not bound by official law, but instead by Nazi ideology, after the war was over, their deaths were ruled as judicial murder. This is a quote from one of the White Rose leaflets. Why do you allow these men who are in power to rob you step by step, openly and in secret, of one domain of your rights after another until one day nothing, nothing at all will be left but a mechanized state system presided over by criminals and drunks? Is your spirit already so crushed by abuse that you forget it is your right, your moral duty to eliminate this system? The white rose is here. We are your bad conscience, and we will not be silent. After his trial for his homosexual relationship with Rolf, the truth of Hans Scholl's sexual orientation remains somewhat ambiguous. One young woman was presented after Hans's death by the Scholl family as his girlfriend. Hans Scholl may have been homosexual, perhaps bisexual, we'll probably never know. Inga Scholl, who was the keeper of her siblings' history, said shortly before her death in 1998, I could not at the time speak of Hans' homosexuality or bisexuality, because if I did say his truth back then, he would never have been able to be a hero. Mm. Mm. Think about that for a moment. On February 18th, 1943, Hans and Sophie Scholl brought a suitcase full of leaflets to their local university. They hurriedly dropped stacks of copies in the empty corridors for students to find when they left the lecture rooms. Leaving before the lectures had ended, the Scholls noticed there were some leftover copies in the suitcase and decided to distribute them. Sophie flung the last remaining leaflets from the top floor down into the atrium. This spontaneous action was observed by the university maintenance man, Jacob Schmidt, and Hans and Sophie Scholl were then taken into Gestapo custody the same day. When questioned about his actions before his murder by the Nazi courts, Hans Scholl said, I knew what it was I took upon myself, and I was prepared to lose my life in so doing. His sister, Sophie Scholl's final recorded words before execution are as follows, such a fine sunny day, and I have to go. 
What does my death matter if through us, thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action? Stand up for what you believe in, even if you're standing alone. As the guillotine fell, seconds from beheading him, Han Scholl cried out these last words, Es liebe die Freiheit, long live freedom. Following the deaths of Hans and Sophie Scholl and the execution of others involved in the movement, a copy of the final White Rose leaflet was smuggled out of Germany, where it was used by the Allied forces. In mid-1943, they dropped millions of copies of this tract, retitled The Manifesto of the Students at Munich over Germany in protest. Playwright Lillian Garrett Grogue stated in Newsday in 1993, it is possibly the most spectacular moment of resistance that I can think of in the 20th century. The fact that five little kids in the mouth of the wolf where it really counted had the tremendous courage to do what they did is spectacular to me. I know that the world is better for them having been there. In a German national TV competition held in 2003 that used the 10 greatest Germans of all time, Germans under the age of 40 placed Hans and Sophie Scholl in fourth place, selecting them both over Bach, Goethe, Gutenberg, and Albert Einstein. In 2003, a group of students at the University of Texas at Austin established the White Rose Society, dedicated to Holocaust remembrance and genocide awareness. And every April, the, uh, the White Rose Society hands out 10,000 white roses on campus, representing the approximate number of people killed in a single day at Auschwitz. The date corresponds with Yom HaShoah, Holocaust Memorial Day. In August 2006, United States citizen and, and journalist Rai Girard arrived at JFK Airport wearing a t-shirt that sported the slogan of the White Rose, but the phrase, we will not be silent, was written in Arabic. One TSA official at JFK that day informed Girard that his choice of t-shirt was akin to wearing a t-shirt at a bank stating, I'm a robber. They made him put on another shirt before being allowed on the plane, then seated him all the way in the back. According to the ACLU, the TSA, and JetBlue agreed to settle his lawsuit for, uh, for $240,000. And in a statement, Gerard said he hopes officials will think twice before practicing illegal discrimination. One of the final White Rose leaflets written by Han Scholl and others says these words. Isn't it true that every honest German is ashamed of their government these days? Who among us has any conception of the dimensions of shame that will befall us and our children when one day the veil has fallen from our eyes and the most horrible of crimes by our government reaches the light of day? Stories like this are why I am a storyteller and a historian. History is a gift that we can learn from if we really look at it. And, like we've talked about already, queer people are the first people to be erased from the history books. Another one of my personal heroes, Hannah Gadsby, says that stories are our cure. And I really believe that. And I finish this story today with these words from my queer hero, Han Scholl himself. It is high time that we made up our minds to do something. What are we going to show? in the way of resistance, when all this terror is over, we will be standing empty-handed. We will have no answer when we are asked, what did you do about it? Thank you.
Thank you, Josh. Intense. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Cool. We've got like a hot second. I'd love to jump on because emotional whiplash is sort of the trademark characteristic of my gay agenda. Yeah. Yeah. and we've got like a couple of seconds uh, before Queer Congress. I'd love to share my, I think it's six fun facts about Marsha P. Johnson. Ooh. Who here knows who Marsha P. Johnson is? Everyone should know who Marsha P. Johnson is. She's so, in the exhibit upstairs on the fourth floor. Yeah, you could just <laughs> go and learn about Marsha P. Johnson. Um, so Marsha P. Johnson was an American gay liberation activist and self-identified drag queen. Uh, known as an outspoken advocate for gray, gay rights, Johnson was one of the prominent features in the Stonewall Uprising of 1969. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know what the Stonewall riots were, um, it took place at the Stonewall Inn, and uh, this was in the 1960s. Uh, there was a police raid uh, on the Stonewall Inn uh, related somewhat to the fact that it was possibly owned by the mafia and somewhat based on the fact that it was a popular queer destination. Um, police were intending to um, uh, arrest any, quote, men dressed as women attending. So then some riots broke out for several days, uh, led by many people, including Marsha P. Johnson. Uh, She was also a founding member of the Gay Liberation Front, co-founder of STAR, which stands for Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, alongside our close friend, uh, Sylvia Rivera. Uh, She was also an AIDS activist with the organization ACT UP. So here are my six fun facts about Marsha P. Johnson. First is that there are many differing accounts involving Marsha P. Johnson's involvement with the Stonewall riots. Uh, Fellow Stonewall veterans and gay activists such as Morty Manford and Marty Robinson reported that on the first night, Johnson, quote, threw a shot glass at a mirror in the torched bar screaming, I got my civil rights. Others claim that on the second night, Johnson climbed up a lamppost and dropped a bag with a brick in it down on a cop car shattering the windshield. Johnson claims she arrived after the riots had begun, uh, waking up Sylvia Rivera on the way. So, you know, who could say where she was? Fact number two, uh, Johnson was one of the first drag queens to go to the Stonewall Inn after they began allowing women and drag queens inside. It was previously a bar for only gay men. Uh, Number three, uh, she said that the P in her name, Marsha P. Johnson, stood for pay it no mind. (laughs) Uh, She would use this phrase sarcastically when questioned about her gender, saying it stands for pay it no mind. Oh, mood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I need to come up with something for that the next time somebody asks me what CJ stands for. Whatever the CJ equivalent is of pay it no mind. Uh, Number four, Marsha P. Johnson modeled for Andy Warhol and performed on stage with the drag performance troupe Hot Peaches. Uh, Number five, Marsha was a sex worker, uh, among with several other careers she had, uh, and by her report, she was arrested nearly 100 times in connection with her work and shot once in the late 70s. She did survive that shot. Uh, And my final fun fact, number six, In 1992, when George Siegel's Stonewall Memorial was moved to Christopher Street from Ohio to recognize the gay liberation movement, Johnson commented, how many people have died for these two little statues to be put in the park to recognize gay people? 
How many years does it take for people to see that we're all brothers and sisters and human beings in the human race? I mean, how many years does it take for people to see that we're all in this rat race together? On May 30th of this year, it was announced that Johnson and Sylvia Rivera would be honored with monuments at Greenwich Village near the site of the Stonewall Club. And them's my fun facts about Marsha P. Johnson. I highly encourage everybody to go look her up. She was so incredibly important to the uh, queer movement as it stands in America today, along with Sylvia Rivera. I'm a little self-conscious now that I'm the only one at the table who hasn't brought a queer historical fact. You're Um, a queer historical figure. Oh, (laughs) thank you. I I will point out, perhaps um, the Jurassic era is in history, and according to historical document Jurassic Park, all dinosaurs are trans and lesbian. (laughs) Yes. That's mine. That's true. Yes. (laughs) Can't argue with that. That's the whole story, and I'm here for it. <laughs> no, that's the end. <laughs> also, that's really on brand for you to still bring an animal fact to a queer moment in history show. <laughs> cool. Uh, we got a couple of minutes, and toward the end of our shows, we love to do uh, Queer Congress. So the folks that you see up here today are members of the Queer Congress, uh, Queer Council as it stands. And audience members are encouraged to propose a, uh, an item for the gay agenda for us to deliberate and, whether or, and decide whether or not it is in fact going to be on the agenda. Uh, past items have included milkshakes, a queer exclusive Wawa, penguins, gritty. We have discussed gritty in ad nauseum. So Do not much. bring up gritty again. There is discourse. <laughs> we can't do this again. Uh, so... If anybody would like to uh, propose an item, we'll be happy to deliberate. It can be literally anything. While the audience deliberates, I would like to ask, uh, Jingle Bells. Oh, I mean... I mean, I I don't see why not. Like, we're talking about the Jingle Bells as opposed to the song Jingle I was about to ask the same thing. Yeah, no, the bells themselves. The bells themselves. Yeah, totally gay. Okay. Right? Right? Like, this yes. is the obvious thing. Baron von Steuben made it so. Right? <laughs> That's he true. he wouldn't have used them. <laughs> That's true. If, That's he, true. if he took one look at them and said, these are straight, he would not have put them on he his sleigh and rode up to the Revolutionary War. <laughs> if there were a gayer bell, surely he would have used those. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I think okay. we can make that assumption. I figured I'd throw that low ball while we... Are Jingle Bells the gayest? If so, what are the straightest bell? Oh, church bells, probably. Mm. Mm. (laughs) Some roasty hot takes. (laughs) (laughs) What about those, like, little handheld ones that have, like, the weird handle thingy and, like, old-timey school teachers? Oh. Oh, maybe. Are cowbells gay? That's the question. I want to say yes. See, I want to say no. I want all cows to be gay. Well, all right, we're not talking about cows. <laughs> oh. No, we're just talking about the things they wear. Yeah. The things that are forced upon them by farmers. That's true. They don't they, choose to wear those No, bells. that is That's great fair. fucking point. I, I think cowbells are not gay. I'm going to yeah. go on record okay. to that. But cows can be. Cows yes. can be. Okay. And often are. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's so rare we get to talk about a cow liberation and queerness on this podcast, so I'm glad you brought it up. Cool. We gave everybody plenty of time to think about it. <laughs> Anybody got something they want to throw? This is your opportunity to have something on the gay agenda. You in the front row look like you have something to say. 
Yeah, is that just on. your thinking face? Come on. It is just thinking face. <laughs> Fortunately, thinking faces are already on the gay agendas, so it's okay. Oh. On the most <laughs> I assume. I mean, there are faces I make a lot, so I want to say that they're on the gay agenda. We're a contemplative folk. That's really true. Yeah. As evidence up here. Yes. I'm trying to think if I had anything else that I wanted to bring to the council. There's so many. I want to make everything gay is the problem. I want to get my little gay hands on everything I see. That's true. We're really like not inclined to say that something isn't on the agenda. But cowbells, no. Cowbells. <laughs> oh, somewhere. Apparently we're taking big stands against cowbells, so. I just, I just don't see them as gay. Just don't see it. And maybe that's my lack of imagination but I've yet to see a counter-argument. <laughs> I will agree with you. I was on the fence before, but I'm jumping to your side because I just remembered that one SNL skit. Right. And I'm tired um, of, yeah, of straight men quoting it at me. <laughs> and see, whether they were gay before, they've been claimed by the straights. Uh, mm. Which is so mm-hmm. tough. Mm-hmm. No more cowbell. Mm-hmm. No more. <laughs> Never. <laughs> All right, that was still plenty of buffering time, y'all. <laughs> See, you took away Gritty and now everyone's nervous. I know, that's really tough. And listen, I'm happy to talk about the Cats trailer. Is the Cats trailer on the gay agenda? Hold on. No. 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 We're better than that. The Cats trailer is homophobic. (laughs) I disagree with that. Okay. But it is not on the gay's agenda. Okay. Yeah, I'd say that the Cats trailer is like very heterosexual, and that's for that's ad, that's an adaptation of Cats. The only Andrew Lloyd Webber musical that deserves to be on the gay agenda is obviously Starlight Express. Now hold we can on. all agree that people dressed as trains on trains on roller skates singing songs is very gay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got the signal that the show's almost over, but I do have to bring up Jesus Christ Superstar, which did convince me as a youth that Judas was in fact gay for Jesus. Oh yeah. Look, and I'm standing look, by that. For sure. look, you know what? The Bible convinced me that Judas was gay for Jesus. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. <laughs> it's in the text. I don't know if we can yeah. give Andrew Lloyd Webber credit for that. <laughs> I think it's just the exposure. <laughs> I, just listen, just watch the 2000 version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, we do have to wrap up <laughs> and I do have to read off of the sponsors list. Thank you all for attending. First of all, um, I'm about to read the list that says, please read during your show. We're still during the show. We are still during the show. Indie Hall's podcast, Junto, Junto, gosh, I'm already bad at this. Tattooed Mom, the National Liberty Museum. That's That's where we are. World Cafe Live, New Media Touring, Fireball Printing, Everything is Awesome, the podcast, OB Media Podcasting Services, Philly Banner Express, Tea House Screen Printing, Bridges? Bridge set. Bridge set. Jeez, I'm messing this up. Bridge set sound. The Philip. (laughs) This is the city we're in. The Philadelphia Podcasting Society. They all work to make the festival possible. This is our second time at the Philly Podcast Festival, and that was our first live show last year. Mm. And so thank you to the Philly Podcast Festival for promoting. New voices, queer voices, all the voices. Terrific job, everybody. (laughs) And thank you to our guests. Thank you. Thank you. Give a round of applause for our two magnificent storytellers. I caught it. I caught it from you. (laughs) (laughs) Let's sing the ending, the closing theme before we both forget how to talk entirely. All All right.
Whoa. Nope, that was a mistake. All right. Until next time, put this on your gay agenda. Fight the power. Love yourself. Learn some Prussian curse words. Yeah. And that's our gay agenda. That's